Welcome to the Mustang UMC podcast recorded each Sunday morning during our 8.30 and 10.50 a.m. services. We invite you to join us in praise and worship during that time, and our hope is that this podcast serves as an encouragement for you and for your family in your daily life. Amen. Let us pray. So, Lord Jesus, you are our living hope. And so, Lord, right now we pray for those who may not feel hopeful, that they may remember that it is out of the darkness, it's out of the depths, it's out of the brokenness and the pain that you came and you speak life. And so, Lord, we pray that your life and your love and your goodness would just be made known to us this day and every day. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Today our scripture comes from the book of Deuteronomy chapter 10, verses 12 through 22. This is Deuteronomy chapter 10, verses 12 through 22. Let's give our attention to the reading of God's holy word. And now, Israel, what does the Lord your God require of you but to fear the Lord your God, to walk in all his ways, to love him, to serve the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul? And to keep the commandments and statutes of the Lord, which I am commanding you today for your good. Behold, to the Lord your God belong heaven and the heavens of heaven, the earth with all that is in it. Yet the Lord set his heart in love on your fathers and chose their offspring after them, you above all peoples as you are this day. Circumcise, therefore, the foreskin of your heart and be no longer stubborn." For the Lord your God is God of God and Lord of lords, the great, the mighty, and the awesome God, who is not partial and takes no bribe. He executes justice for the fatherless and the widow and loves the sojourner, giving him food and clothing. Love the sojourner, therefore, for you are sojourners in the land of Egypt. You shall fear the Lord your God. You shall serve him and hold fast to him, and by his name you shall swear. He is your praise. He is your God, who has done for you these great and terrifying things that your eyes have seen. Your fathers went down to Egypt, 70 persons, and now the Lord your God has made you as numerous as the stars of heaven. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Amen. You all may be seated. Let us pray. And so, Lord, we do pray that your word and your truth would reside with us and that we may know you more. And we may know your commands, which are good for us, even better. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. A few weeks ago, I was at a family reunion. I always enjoy going to our family reunion. And one of the things, now that I've, uh, I'm one of the older ones, well, I say I'm one of the middle ones now, but there was nine of us cousins, um, and there's some extended family that will come to this family reunion. And one of our favorite pastimes is to meet the boyfriend or the girlfriend that comes to the family reunion, Right? This is always uh, being part of the, of the inside family. Um, it's always really kind of fun to, to check out and see if they are worthy of being part of the family, right? Maybe you've had this experience. And I don't know about you, but in our family, we have, uh, we have the inquisitive aunt. Do you have the inquisitive aunt in your family? Um, you may be the inquisitive aunt, but she's the one who's going to ask all the questions, all right, to see whether or not this person really belongs in this family. Now, I've also been the 
boyfriend to be brought into another family as well. I remember um, that when, I, when Heather and I started dating and I would go and I would meet with her family and there was an inquisitive aunt who was asking all sorts of questions. And the, co- the question would be, is does this outsider belong here with us? Is, is this person worthy of being part of what we would call family? Can this outsider become an insider? This is really sort of the way the world works, right? There are insiders and there are outsiders, and sometimes we find ourselves being part of the in crowd, and other times we find ourselves on the outside looking in. This is the world, and sometimes we're insiders, and sometimes we are outsiders. One of the ways that I I know that we can tell whether or not we're insiders or outsiders, whether or not we sort of know the jokes that have been talked about, right? I love this quote from Michael Scott. I love inside jokes. I'd love to be a part of one someday, right? The, 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 sometimes you know whether or not you belong by whether or not you know what the conversations are about. Now, here's what I've noticed um, about insiders and outsiders is that, is that when an outsider comes into my world by nature and by definition, it is kind of a terrifying thing because they are disorienting to the normal that we have. How is this person going to disrupt our normal life, whether it be in a family, in a school, in a workplace, or even in the church? How is this going to break our normal? They're going to threaten what's normally there. It's also disorienting because they don't understand who's supposed to go first for dinner. They don't understand the way that things are normally done. But also, often there are people that are hurting A few years ago, my wife and I went on a a mission trip with a few other people um, to Beirut, Lebanon. And while we were there, we worked with some uh, faith-promised missionaries at our church um, in Tulsa who were on the ground doing great and incredible work there. Now, you might be familiar with the Syrian refugee crisis where just so many people left their homes in Syria and then fled anywhere. A lot of them fled to Lebanon, where there in the Bekaa Valley, they had tents after tents after tents of where people had made their homes. Um, I, the picture that you're seeing is, is from our trip there. Um, the, the gentleman and his wife and his son, they were actually from a place called Homes. Now, what was interesting for my wife and I while we were there and, and we were talking with them was just to hear how awful the story was. He had his phone and he took his phone and he showed a video of his house and it looked like every middle-class American house that I had ever been in. It was the most normal looking house and he showed us around in his living room and bedrooms and said, this was my home. This is where I come from. This is where I want to be. He did not want to be a refugee. He wanted to be home. One of the most touching times while we were there was his son, who you can see in that picture, was when his son sang a song from the homeland. Be like one of us singing Oklahoma for somebody. And he sang a song from his homeland, and you could just tell that all he wanted to do was to be home. But he was stuck there, living in what would be considered a nicer place. In a multiple room home stuck as a refugee, and to think through, not only was he away from home and disoriented, not only was he threatening the way that Lebanon was living their life, but he was somebody in great pain because he had to flee his home. What would it take for you or I to have to flee our home? How bad would it have to be for us to leave everything we know and everyone we know and go away? 
I learned more about refugees than I had ever known. One of the things that I learned was that a refugee, on average, is a refugee for 18 years. So where were you in 2001? Some of you are like, I wasn't even born yet. Can you imagine your children, all they know is that. They can't go to school often because there's not enough infrastructure to be able to have school for all of the children. There's no place really to work. What does life look like? So these are outsiders who've come to become insiders and to live in this community. And it's really shaken things up. But my heart goes out to these people who left the only home they ever knew to come to a place because that's their best choice for living. They're outsiders. Now, what does God say about how we treat outsiders? How do, how do we treat people who don't necessarily belong? Now, I'm using the word outsiders because I think this text helps us to understand people who are, who are on the outside and what we are called to do as people of faith. But there are different words that our text uses. Uh, the text used the word sojourner. All right. Another version of it used the word immigrant. Um, another version used the word resident alien. Um, the, the best definition I can get kind of scripturally, these are people um, from another country who were permanently or semi-permanently living with the folks of Israel. All right. Now, I'm choosing to use the word outsider, and one reason is, is because if I use the word immigrant, then we get a little uptight here in America about that. All right. Because right now, immigration is a huge political issue, and I, as your pastor, want to talk a little bit about how I think faith and politics engage, all right? Because I do think they engage, but I don't think my job up here is to be a politician or to try to persuade you to a particular political position. That's not what I'm supposed to do as a pastor. What I'm supposed to do as a pastor is to help us wrestle with who God is, what does God's word say? What does God's spirit say? And thus, what does it mean for us? But we live in a world in which it's so easy to let our faith be politics-driven instead of letting our politics be faith-driven. Let me say that again. We live in a world where it's also easy to let our politics drive our faith instead of letting our faith determine our politics. And so one of the ways I realize that my Politics is getting formed by the world instead of by the word is by what, how much time I'm spending with my inputs. And so if I'm spending more time watching the news, whether it's Fox News, CNN, MSNBC, or reading Facebook, or, or reading the newspapers, if I'm spending more time reading about that stuff than I am in God's word and what does God's word say, then I am at danger of having my politics drive my faith instead of my faith drive my politics. And so I hope that we as people, no matter what the political issue of the day might be, that we would spend time really searching God's word and seeing what God's truth is for us, and then how do we live that out in a personal way? I don't really think that I am going to be able to change American foreign policy no matter what I think it may or may not should be. But what I can do is how I treat my neighbors what I can do is how I influence other people in my circles of influence. And so often I think before we have a big political opinion, God invites us to be personally invested in small ways and small ways and listen and hear the stories before he calls us into more. So with that being said, what does this text tell us about how God has called us to treat outsiders? 
It tells us a few things. The first that it tells us is that God's world is a good world and God is over all the world. Here's what it says in verse 4. Behold, to the Lord your God belong heaven and the heavens of heavens, the earth with all that is in it. Do you hear that? All that is in the earth belongs to God. Later on it says this, For the Lord your God is a God of gods and Lord of lords, the great, the mighty, and the awesome God, who is not partial and takes no bribes. You see, part of what I think this text tells us is that everything in the world and everyone in the world belongs to God. And that when God created the world, he called it good. And when he created humanity, when he created people, he called them very good. Now we are all fallen. We have all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. But God is the God of everybody and everything. And that's the first thing that we should know about people. And so everywhere is part of God's kingdom and every person is part of God's creation. Now, another thing that this text tells us is that God's commands are good for us. And so this is what he says in verse 12 and 13. And now, Israel, what does the Lord your God require of you but to fear the Lord your God, to walk in all his ways, to love him, to serve the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, and to keep the commandments and statutes of the Lord which I am commanding you today for your good, is that if God commands us to do something, it is good for us. Now, sometimes it doesn't always feel that way, and, and sometimes, gosh, there's some, there's some discipline and there's some growth and there's some suffering that happens in the midst of it, all right? But if God commands us, then it is good for us in a way that we are called to live the life. And so anytime there's a command of God, we have to listen to it and see God why, why are you asking us to do this? Why are you telling us to do this? And how is that good for us? And part of the reason why God's commands are good for us is because God is good towards us. And this is really part of what they're trying to convince the people of Israel is to remember their story and to remember that God is good towards them. It says here, he executes justice for the fatherless and the widow and loves the sojourner, giving him food and clothing. Love the sojourner, therefore why? For you were sojourners in the land of Egypt. You shall fear the Lord your God. You shall serve him and hold fast to him, and by his name you shall swear. And he goes on to say that he is your God who has done for you these great and terrifying things that your eyes have seen. Your fathers went down to Egypt, 70 persons, and now the Lord your God has made you as numerous as the stars of heaven. And so he's reminding them of their story. Now, if you don't remember the story of the Israelite people, that's okay. Let me just sort of tell it to you really quickly. So there was a person by the name of Abram, and God called him. And God said, you're going to be the father of many nations, and I will bless you, and you will become a blessing. And so Abram changed his name to Abraham, and this became God's chosen people. Now, one of Abraham's descendants was a guy by the name of Joseph. Joseph ended up in Egypt, and when there was a famine in the land, his family joined him. And they lived in Egypt as this country for a while. But then there was a new pharaoh and what happens with a new person is that the new Pharaoh did not know Joseph. And the new Pharaoh saw that these Israelites were strong and mighty, and they were a threat to the Egyptian way of life. And so what did the Pharaoh do? But he enslaved them. And so they were slaves, and they were making bricks. But they cried out to God. They said, remember your promise. And God heard their cry, remember their promise. 
And he sent a guy by the name of Moses to be their leader. And Moses came, and there were some good and terrifying things that happened in this story. Because in the story and in the book of Exodus, you can read about the ten plagues. There's flies, there's frogs, there's boils, there's blood, there's rods turned to snakes. There's all sorts of like weird stuff that goes on. But the last one had to be the most terrifying. And so what happened, and in fact, whenever we celebrate the Last Supper, this is part of the meal that Jesus would have celebrated with his disciples would be the Passover meal. And it was a meal to remember this day. Because on that day, there was the 10th plague, which was the death of the firstborn son. And so God told his people to put the blood of the lamb above their door. And if the blood of the lamb was above the door, then the angel of death would pass over that house and go to the next one. And so all the Israelites, they all put the blood of the lamb above the door, and their families were safe and secure. But the Egyptians, much blood was shed in the home as the firstborn son passed away, including Pharaoh's. And finally, that was the act that allowed God's people to go free. And so they crossed the Red Sea. God split the sea. They walked across on dry land. Amazing and terrifying things happened. And so what God wants these people and us is to remember our story, to remember that we were people who needed God's help and God's love, that we were once outsiders, but God has rescued us. And he tells them specifically, love the sojourners, love the outsiders, therefore, for you were sojourners in the land of Egypt. Remember your story. Remember how I took care of you. Thus, then, you shall take care of other people. So these sojourners that were in their community, what were they called to do? They were called to love them. Even though they disorient their world, even though it changes things, even though they may at sometimes be threatening to the normal way of life, God calls us to open our hearts to the outsiders. But so often, you and I choose stubbornness. We we choose to continue to do things our way. We continue not to see them as outsiders, but as threats. We see them not as people who need a home, but people who are not part of our family. And so we separate ourselves from them. And God's command is clear. Circumcise, therefore, the foreskin of your heart and be no longer stubborn. How often is it that our own stubbornness gets in the way of God's command for us to love one another? So how do we love the outsider? What does that that tangibly look like to to love somebody who, who is on the outside? For me, I think it really requires hospitality and empathy. It requires us to be hospitable people who are noticing first that there might be people who are new and to see them with open eyes as as people who God has created as good and calls us to love. But also, we are called to be empathetic, to imagine what life would be in their shoes. I think I have lived in 12 different cities um, in my 35 years of life. I have spent a lot of time being an outsider. I've spent some time being an insider, but I've also spent a lot of my life being an outsider. And one of the things that I can tell you is that there's a lot of grief that comes with being an outsider. 
because, because we leave places and people that we love and, and we come into a new community and, and we have to reestablish ourselves all over again. And that's just moving. That's not me knowing, I know culture, I know language, I know so many things, but, but it's still hard and still difficult. And it's hard to become an insider. It's hard to take that journey unless people really open their hearts. As I was preaching this in the first service, a, a 90s country song came to me. One of the things I hope you realize is that 90s country songs often will come to me in the middle of all sorts of things. Um, and so there was this Colin Ray country song. Uh, if, you, if you know Colin Ray, uh, great, great uh, 90s country I say great, like solid, like B-like country star, all right? Like 90s, like really sort of niche genre, 90s B country star. Um, but he had this song, and he said, we're really not that different. But this is, um, he's trying to, to court this woman, and, and she said that they're much too different. So these are the lyrics of the song. She said we're much too different. We're from two separate worlds. And he admitted she was partly right. But in his heart's defense, he told her what they had in common was strong enough to bond them for life. He said, look behind your own soul, and the person that you'll see just might remind you of me. I laugh. I love. I hope. I try. I hurt. I need. I fear. I cry. And I know you do the same things too. So we're really not that different, me and you. We're really not that different. We can, can make all sorts of things about why we are different. And in fact, we're really good at that as, as society is as there is us and there is them. And I can give you all sorts of reasons of why I'm an us and you're a them. But at the heart of it, really, God calls us to unity and to oneness and that we are really not that different. I learned about a study um, that was done to in order to build empathy with other people, and it was just mind-boggling how simple it is. It's as simple as looking at one another. And so there was a study that was done, and, and, and they, what they would do is they would sit strangers across from one another, and they would make them gaze and look into the eyes of somebody for four minutes. For four minutes. I think we have some pictures of, of some of the pictures and some of the study that was done. And so these are people who are just looking at each other for four minutes. Now, once you get past the awkwardness of this, the empathy builds with people. Because instead of seeing all the differences, and I think there's a few different pictures that we have here of people who are different, you begin to see past somebody. We look behind our own soul, as Colin Ray said it, we are be no longer stubborn, as Moses said it. And we see that that person might just remind you of me. And we see people as us instead of them. And that God calls us to open our hearts to the outsiders because we were once outsiders. Now, how did Jesus treat others? We have a great story that tells us all about it. In John chapter 4, we have Jesus who meets this Samaritan woman of ill repute at the well. Now, this is an extraordinary story for lots and lots of reasons. One is Jesus goes to the well, and when he goes there, they, they choose to go through Samaria, all right? Now, in those days, Jewish people and Samarians did not get along. In fact, they did not get along so much that if a Jewish person was traveling from the south 
to the north. They would go right through Samaria, all right? But they did not like those folks so much that they would take the long way around just so they avoided going into town. It would be like if you went to Shawnee and you just had to skip all of Oklahoma City, all right? Because you couldn't stand being in that place. That's what it would be like. And so, but Jesus, instead of going around, he went in. So the first extraordinary thing. And there he met a woman. Now, in those days, a man would not have talked to a woman in public. That was not the way things were done. So a Samaritan, but then there was this woman. But this was a woman who, again, of ill repute. She had five husbands, and the man she was living with now was not her husband. And so this is somebody that, that would have been an outsider and an outcast. And here is the person that Jesus meets, looks her in the eye, and begins to tell her about her life story. Begins to tell her that there will be a time in which we worship in spirit and in truth. It's not about the Jewish people worshiping on the Jewish mountain, but God is bringing people together, Jews and Samaritans, to worship together. And he tells her everything that she ever did. Now in John chapter 4, we get a great thing because what, what does she do? Is she goes and tells everybody. She goes and tells everybody about this man who she met, who said everything that she had ever done and I imagine, this isn't said in our text, and, but I imagine part of what it is, is not only does he tell me everything that he, I've ever done, but he still loves me. And Jesus went this distance. And she became really the first evangelist for Jesus Christ. It tells us that, that many people came to hear and see for themselves what it is that Jesus was all about because of her words. Because she told her story other people got to participate in the story of Jesus. And so Jesus doesn't care about the barriers that humans put up. He doesn't care about the barriers that we put up between Jews and Sumerians. He doesn't care about barriers between men and women. He doesn't care about barriers between the righteous and the unrighteous. Jesus loves the neighbor, whoever the neighbor is. Now, I, I have been in, we've been in our neighborhood for about three months now. Um, and so we, we haven't been there too long, but somebody new just moved in a few doors down. And I can tell you what, when I heard that they were moving in, like one of the first things I was, I was like, well, I wonder who these people are. Are they good enough to live on our cul-de-sac? You know, we sort of have a way of doing things, right? Gosh, how quickly I become an insider. This is my cul-de-sac. This is my street. I hope you're worthy and so I become this person. But does God instead call me to be the neighbor? I want to keep things, protect things. Gosh, they're, they may change something around the neighborhood. <sighs> Lord, soften my heart so I'm no longer stubborn. Soften my heart so that I can see these people, not as people who come to threaten my way, but I may see them as people that you dearly love and look into their eyes and see that we're really not that different. And thank God that he looks into our eyes and loves us all the same. Thank you for listening to the Mustang UMC podcast. Once again, our services are at 8.30 and 10.50 a.m. every Sunday morning, and we would love to see you there. 
For more information about the Mustang United Methodist Church, please visit us at mustangumc.org or email us at office at mustangumc.org. That is office at mustangumc.org. We hope you enjoyed.